Hello, listeners. My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. A couple of days ago, I had the chance to go out to lunch with one of my friends, who does not regularly attend church. While I was having a conversation with my friend, who has a basic knowledge about who God is, I realized that her knowledge of God was not completely correct. She asked me this question during our conversation. God calls himself a God of love and calls us his children who he loves. Then why does he send his children to hell? She did not understand why God would do such a thing. She became emotional as she stated that she disagreed with God's actions. I began to think about salvation, sin, Jesus Christ our Savior, and the overall history of salvation in the scriptures as I thought about how I would answer her question. But I was taken back by my own response as I asked her a question that I hadn't even thought about. I asked her, Do you believe that you are the child of God? My friend was a little shocked by my question and could not give an answer right away. We will continue this discussion after this song. Praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God and our King. To Him we will sing. In His great mercy He has given us life. Now we can be called the children i 
forgiven We are the sons and daughters of our God We are the saints, we are the children We've been redeemed, we've been forgiven We are the sons and daughters of our God Children of God, sing your song and rejoice Answering my friend's question of why God sent his loving children to hell with another question, asking her if she truly believed that she was a child of God. I think that there is a tendency for some of us to call ourselves children of God too easily. Of course, we do receive salvation from Jesus Christ our Savior to become children of God. But Just because we call ourselves the children of God, it does not mean that we are truly the children of God. There must also be a change in our lives, values, and behaviors when we call ourselves children of God. I want to share with all of you what Jesus tells us about being children of God. In Matthew chapter 21, Verses 21 through 31. There is a moment when Jesus is challenged by the chief priests and elders when he enters the temple. Jesus tells them of an example during his conversation with them. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? In this story, we have a man with two sons. The father asked the first son to work in the vineyard. The son said to his father that he would not but changed his mind afterwards and decided to go to work in the vineyard that day. The father also asked the same question to the second son, asking him to work in the vineyard. The second son only answers his father, saying that he will, but never actually goes to the vineyard to work. After telling this story to the people, Jesus asks them, Which of the two did the will of his father? 
The people answered Jesus that the first son did the will of his father. We too will answer Jesus' question saying the first son. It is the first son that actually did the will of his father at the end, even though he answered his father that he would not at first. But Jesus gives us a shocking answer after asking this question. Let's reread Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus tells us, unexpectedly in verse 31, as he compares those who first reject his message, like the tax collectors and prostitutes, to the first son, who later did the will of his father. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Where you go, I'll go Where you stay
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is grace and New Year's resolutions. Don't mix. Part 2. Based on Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 through 29. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Francis. What's the purpose of the law? Why do we even need the law? If God already promised he would redeem these people, why did he make the law? Which is the very next question he asked in verse 19. And I'm going to give you three reasons why he gave the law. Number one, verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put in effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Okay, it's a confusing passage. This whole idea of the mediator, he's saying, okay, the law, what does the law say? The law says that if you do these things, you'll be blessed. So it's like a, there's a mediator, there's, there's a, there was Moses, there were the angels, there was this, this covenant between God and man, and God gives his law and says, look, if you obey this thing, then I'll give you life. Okay, so two partiers are involved. God, who, who made the deal, and man, who has to keep his end of the bargain. Now the problem is, no one has been able to keep the law. Okay, so that deal doesn't work. The whole idea was it wasn't meant to give us life. He goes, see, that it's a two-party thing. Whereas with, with the covenant, with the promise, that was all God. Abraham didn't have to do anything. God made a covenant. God made a deal. And he says there was only one party involved, just God. And God goes, look, I'm going to promise you that you're going to have these descendants. You're going to have this offspring. He promised Adam and Eve, look, you know what? You're going to have this seed. The Christ is going to come. That was all God. He doesn't say, if you do this or that. He says, this is about the difference between the law and the promise. The promise comes from God and depends on God's faithfulness, whereas the law was this deal where if you can really do this. But the point was, was no one was going to be able to keep his law. But what was the purpose of the law then? What then was the purpose of the law? Why have a law? He says, it was added because of transgressions. Do you know why God put the law there? The whole point was so that you would see how sinful you are. See, Paul describes this in uh, in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, verse 7, he says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. He goes, I wouldn't have known that I was so bad. But then I start reading the laws of God and I'm going, wow. I'm terrible. It's almost like the law. It's like, you know, you know how they have those those uh, those those uh, signs that show you how fast you're going. You ever seen those? And, you know, it shows you, you know, speed limit 35. Then you see the 70 jump up like, whoa, I had no idea. But it kind of just threw that in your face. It's like this mirror of, wow, I am really breaking the law right now, you know. That's the idea of the law. That was the idea of the Old Testament law. Was Paul was saying, look, I, I wouldn't have even known what sin was. But then I started reading the law and I'm going, man, God hates that? Wait, Almighty God hates that. See, if you don't read the Old Testament, you're going to feel pretty good about yourself. You just will. If you don't read that book, you are going to feel good about yourself because what you will do is you'll compare yourself to other people. 
And you'll look at and, and we just naturally will gravitate toward the worst of the worst and go, you know what, I am not like him, I am not like her, and you begin to feel self-righteous because you look at other people. But if you look at the law and you look at what God says, that's when you don't feel so hot about yourself. And you realize, oh man, see, because people will always tell you, people will say, ah, divorce isn't that big a deal. Adultery, you know, we've all done some of that. Coveting, you know what? Yeah, you're not happy with your husband. You'd rather have someone else. Of course, we've all done that. See, you start talking to other people, you're going to start feeling pretty good about yourselves because that's what we do for one another. Whenever someone sins, we go, that's eh, not that big a deal. Oh, yeah, read, read the Bible sometime. You know how much God hates? Hates those things. You start reading the Bible and you go, wow, he can't stand it. Look, he just destroyed, he had the ground swallow a bunch of people. Look, he just had fire come down from heaven to destroy these people. What was his point? I hate that. Don't talk behind his back. I'll, I'll kill you. Don't lie. I'll kill you. I mean, you start reading the Bible and you go, wow. Okay, God's serious about his law. That was the point of the law is if you would read this, you wouldn't feel so great about yourself. You start just talking to other people. Yeah, you feel great. But when you look at the law, that's the point of the law. It was added so that people would realize how sinful they were. That was the point of the law. So is the law a bad thing? Verse 21 says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But the scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. See, the purpose of the law, number one, was to show you how sinful you were. But number two, it was also to show you how helpless you were. It says the whole world is a prisoner of this law. We're all under the law, whether you like it or not. You don't you don't choose to be under law. You know, I, I, I don't I didn't choose to be under the speed limit that that was just set up for me. That was just there in the same way. We don't get to choose what laws we're under. We're under the law. We're prisoners of it. We're locked up. God says, you know, when a creator makes these little beings, he has the freedom to tell these beings what to do. That's just that's just a law. That's just a rule. If you make something, you're in charge. It's this whole idea of, look, I make this law and I put you under it. So I'm under this law now. And the whole point was for me to realize, man, I'm a prisoner of this. When the Bible says, thou shall not covet, that means I can't ever want what someone else has. I can't desire someone else's money, someone else's car, someone else's wife, someone else's life. All these commercials you see, you can't, don't long for those things. That's coveting. It's desiring what someone else has. That bearing false witness, that's, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Don't say anything false. Man, so those things that, that, that we're under this, that God says, no, you're, you're not allowed to lie. That's awful in my sight. Honor your father and mother. Don't you ever dishonor your parents. You honor them. God commanded that. 
These are the laws of God. Don't use His name in vain. You treat His name as holy. Hallowed is His name. Don't just flippantly say the name of God. Man, you don't you don't put any you don't say we talked about idolatry. You don't set things up like that. Adultery. Don't you dare lust over. Don't you look at another woman with lust. Don't you hate another human being? Don't have hatred toward another person. That's murder. Don't you go working seven days a week? You better take. You better keep one day holy. Set apart for. You start going down the Ten Commandments. That we're a prisoner of this, and we're going. Oh man, as I say those things, you're going. I broke it. I broke it. I broke it. I broke it. And one day you stand before a judge, and guess what? He's not going to look at all that and go, "Oh, you're innocent." See, you're you're in trouble. You're in some serious, serious trouble. You can have all your buddies, all your friends gather you together and, you know, gather them together and they'll all sit down and go, oh no, you're a good person, you're a good person, you're a good person. But guess what? They don't sit on the throne. You stand before a holy God who says, I gave you this law, you broke this, 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 and you're, so you're a prisoner of this and you're going, I'm dead. That's what the law does. It shows you how sinful you are and shows you how much trouble you're in. And then finally, verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. So what was the point of the law? The law was to lead us to Christ. The law was for us to go, man, I'm a real sinner. Man, I'm in a lot of trouble that we would finally go help. That's the point of the law. Was we'd look at it and go, oh, I'm seriously speeding here. I'm seriously going to have to come before the judge on this one. Help me. It was to prepare the way for Christ. So all the people realizing and seeing their guilt go, man, I am going to die. I'm going to be destroyed. Like Isaiah says, when he saw God, I'm, I'm ruined. And then God goes, no, no, no. Watch what I do. I'm going to have my son pay for your crimes. I'm going to have him rise from the grave. And you just believe in him and then you'll spend eternity with him. Thanking him for loving you, thanking him for rising from the grave, thanking him for being the all-powerful being, and it'll be all about him, it'll be all about me, it'll be to our glory. That's why I made this world. He goes, and the law really helps out with that. Because it makes you see how badly you needed Christ. See, that's the point of it. It's a beautiful passage. And you know what I love about this passage is he says in that verse, he goes, The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Put in charge is a terrible translation. The word there is uh, is the word tutor. Or schoolmaster. The, the word there was, it's this idea of in their culture, you had this, um, like a kid from, from infancy until he reached a, adulthood. He would have like a slave. He would have, um, we call him a slave in, in scripture, but it's this person who is a, it's a weird term because we don't have anything like it. It's a tutor, it's a schoolmaster, basically it's, it's a guardian even. It's someone who would stay with this kid, like, like, I got a little two-year-old boy, okay? Let's say someone, let's say Howard is my little boy's tutor, or what this word is, the one who's put in charge of my little boy. Then what Howard would do is, he had freedom to beat my kid. He had freedom to yell at my kid. He was the one that was gonna teach my kid. He was the one that would teach him all his schoolwork and everything else and make sure that he was not just learning intellectually, but he would also obey him. Like in the olden days when you got, you could paddle the kids at school. It's pretty cool. But this would be, 
the guy that would walk with my kid and all through life, he was like just right next to him, telling him what he did wrong, showing him what was right, you know, disciplining when he needed to, everything else. That was the idea of this word here, the one put in charge, until my boy, and I read different accounts, but somewhere around 14, 15, somewhere in there, then suddenly in the Roman uh, mindset, you became an actual citizen, a Roman citizen. And so the idea is you bring them up to that point, and then at that point, you know what? You've tutored him long enough, now he's on his own. Now he's free to go. And every boy looked forward to that. In fact, they had a... uh, they had a coming-of-age ceremony called uh, Toga Virilis. It's kind of like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera, you know, that we still kind of do in some cultures. The idea of, okay, now you're a man, now you're a woman, now you're on your own, now say goodbye to Howard. And every kid would look forward to the day when Howard was gone. You know, it's like, oh, he's out of here, you know, and I am free now. See, Paul says that was the point of the law. The law was there to tutor you and show you how bad you were and everything else. And the whole idea of it was all it was it wasn't permanent. It was to lead us to the time of Christ until faith came, because God promised there was going to come a time when God would actually change people's hearts who are hearts of rock and turn them into flesh. It was this idea when he was going to pour his spirit out upon people. The Bible describes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He says, because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. The whole idea was, we don't have to be under the law anymore. So is the law a bad thing? Here's, here's, here's the best explanation I've heard. So I don't know who came up with this originally, but we'll just pretend it's me. This is the idea. If this is the law, because the law is not a bad thing. The law, this is how God wants us to live still. But the idea is we have to stop looking at the law as a ladder and going, well, I, I obeyed these. And I see guys down on the bottom, they haven't even obeyed the first one. And, you know, some of you, you know, maybe further up and we go, oh, OK, this is this this ladder that's getting me into heaven. Like the, the higher I climb toward this thing, I'm going to I'm going to use the law to get me to heaven. That's not the purpose of the law. It wasn't going to give you life. The purpose of the law now, the way we need to look at it, is to take this ladder and to lay it down and see this as, this isn't a ladder, these are train tracks. It's this idea of this guide or this path that we go along, empowered by the Holy Spirit down this track of righteousness. See, I don't want us to think that, okay, fine, I can disobey all the laws now. No, you just have to look at it differently. The idea is, it's not a ladder that gets you to heaven. And where you look at yourself, oh, I failed, I didn't, you know, That now the law is these, you know, by the Holy Spirit now, we can obey this law. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the guide, this is the rail, this is the track I want to stay on. God's commands are a good thing. And they lead me to life. I want to be on this track. But the picture is, don't ever look at it as a ladder where you think, you know, I'm good. I'm working my way up this thing. But rather, no, it's a great guide for me in life and it's God's desire for me in life. But... um. 
Let me just close with this. Verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He just closes and saying, you know what? I don't know what you've done in life, whether you come in here feeling good about yourself because you fulfilled a bunch of requirements in 07, or if you look at 07 and go, man, that was a sinful, awful year. He goes, I don't care how powerful you are, whether you own a company or you're at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't care if you're male, female, slave, free. I don't care what nationality you are. In order to be a part of this offspring, you need to have faith. That's it. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. He says you get your inheritance, your heirs. Why do you get your inheritance? Because you're a child of God. You don't earn the inheritance. The inheritance was something you've been given. And it's all because of this promise. You see, are you willing to be a part of this big picture? Are you willing to say, you know what, I accept that it's not about me. And it's about a God who made this world, gave me a law so that I could see that, yes, I'm a failure. And for him to come down and save you and for you to go, thank you for saving me. Is that good enough for you? Do you look at the law and go, man, I was a mess. I was in trouble. And thank God for his grace. Thank God for his seed. Thank God for his promise. Are you willing to humble yourself or does that kill you? And you go, no, I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to climb this thing. No one's ever pulled it off. But good luck. Or do you go, you know what, God? Thank you for saving me. My life's a mess. When I look at your law, my life's a mess. I talk to my friends, I'm okay. But when I look at your law, my life's a mess. See, I don't know what people have told you. They've told you that you committed a sin that was just too grievous too awful. God will never forgive you. It's just not true. God made a promise. God made a promise through His Son. God made a promise to Abraham, to Adam and Eve. God made a promise when He made this world and the first two human beings on this planet. And He's going to keep that promise that He would bring a deliverer to save you from yourself and to save you from Him. And that's why we come in this room. Not to celebrate how good we've been or what good people we are but to celebrate Jesus for saving us because the law has shown us, you know what? We were screwed. <laughs> we were prisoners. We were, we were going to die. We were going to be destroyed. Praise Jesus Christ and we'll be praising him forever and ever and ever for saving us. Let me just close. I'm sorry, I said I was going to say that, but I want to close with Revelation 21 because it's the end of the picture. Just listen to this. Just, just listen to this and meditate on it and just enjoy this. Revelation 21 Verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, it's talking about the end times, this is God. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who overcomes will inherit all this. 
and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's what we have to look forward to. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like one day God just say, okay, that world, everything, it's over. Come here. You're my sons. Come and inherit everything. And praise me for everything I did for you. I saved you from that so that you could be my children. No more tears. No more death. No more mourning.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Following is a program on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with the Sermon on the Mount. We have been studying the book of Matthew chapters 5-7, through which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. For the past couple of weeks, we have looked at how the Pharisees and the scribes misinterpreted Jesus' teaching of the law and what the true meaning of those laws are. In previous lessons, we talked about the true meaning of murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, and revenge. Today, we will study the sixth law, love for our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43-48 through 48 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's an Old Testament law the scribes taught the Jewish people that says, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This teaching understates the meaning of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The scribes and the Pharisees, however, took out the part that says, As yourself. So we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, while the scribes and the Pharisees removed as yourself, and they added, hate your enemies, thereby cutting down the amount of people they had to love. Ultimately, the meaning became, love your neighbors that are close to you, and you are justified to hate your enemies. But Jesus is straightening the distorted meaning of this passage by saying, but I say to you, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even in the Old Testament, there is no law that tells us to hate our enemies. Exodus 23 says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. Jesus also teaches us in Romans chapter 12, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Did he not put his words into action when he was on the cross? He prayed for those who persecuted him. He prayed, Father, forgive them. For they do not know 
what they are doing. And Jesus' love was poured out for us who were once his enemies. It is in our nature to hate our enemies. So we are incapable of loving our enemies by ourselves. However, when we live in Jesus' love, which was given while we were his enemies, then we too can obey his commands through the Holy Spirit and love our enemies. And Jesus says in verse 45, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. When we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we are becoming more like Jesus. And in so doing, just as God's love causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So loving our enemies shows the same love as our Father God's love and shows that we are his children. Children of God should love in the same way the Father loves. In verses 46 and 47, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Anybody can love the people who love them and inquire only of their brothers. Even tax collectors and foreigners that Jews despised were able to love this way. But Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus desires a greater love from us than just normal love that anybody can show. It is to love others like Jesus did to us. God's people are to love others in the same way God loves instead of choosing to love according to their desires. Jesus says in verse 48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This verse is the same as all the conclusions made in his teachings about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, revenge, and love for enemies. Earlier, Jesus said anyone who is angry with his brother is committing murder and anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He told us not to swear at all and to tell the truth. He also said not to resist an evil person. Instead, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because we love him, we desire to follow his teachings. Jesus said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are to love as Jesus loved. Jesus' words were never ambiguous or abstract. They reveal what is hidden inside us, and they are sharper than a sword in judging our thoughts and hearts. In front of such words, we can't have attitudes of what is good is good, or I've done enough, and go on with our lives. Also, we can't just focus on following the law and understate Jesus' deepest desire for us. Are you living within Jesus' love that was given to us when we were yet his enemies? Are you living as children of God who causes his son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I pray that we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, just as Jesus has commanded us. Today we read Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, and learned Jesus' words about loving our enemies. Next time, we will study about giving to the needy in Matthew chapter 6. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Jesus tells us that we will not enter the kingdom of God according to our job or identity. We do not enter the kingdom of God just because we call Jesus our Lord and God our Father. Jesus tells us that the ones that enter the kingdom of God are those that do the will of the Father. The two sons in the parable that Jesus teaches us are both the child of the Father. However, Jesus tells us that the first son will enter the kingdom of God because he did the will of his Father. Jesus is teaching us that the only way that we will enter the kingdom of God is to live our lives doing the will of God. We must live our lives according to God if we truly believe that we are children of God. If we just call ourselves children of God and do not behave and live our lives according to His will, we are just like the second son in Jesus' parable, in that we just answer yes but do not do the will of our Father. We received our salvation as children of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is why we must live our lives truly like the children of God. We have to live our lives like the ones that truly deserve to enter the kingdom of God. I hope and pray that we all live our lives as children of God, doing the will of our Father. With God as our Father, I hope that we will all surrender our lives to God, doing His will as we prepare to live another year under His guidance. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to see all of you again next week, and God bless.
Jesus.